Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You're listening to episode 192 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you haven't had a chance yet to take our lover quiz, I invite you to check it out. I read several studies around what makes someone a good lover, and I developed this quiz based on those findings. So if you are curious to know which type of lover are you, and more importantly, what can you do if there are areas that you need to improve on, you can take our quiz. The link is in the show notes, and it takes about five to six minutes. Today, we're going to talk about medication and specifically medication that's 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 been used for addressing sexual dysfunctions. Many times people, men and women, come to my practice and they feel defective. They read maybe a couple books about sexual health and sex ed. Maybe they saw a therapist that were not, uh, he or she was not specialized in sex therapy and they didn't get better and they feel defective. They feel like they will never have the sex life that they want. That's why that I think it's important to be aware of the options out there because there are hundreds of different approaches that you can take when it comes to problem solving your sexual challenges and medication can be part of those solutions. There are tons of wonderful medication specifically for addressing sexual dysfunctions. We're going to talk about the ones for women and men, and we're going to talk about some procedures that people are using to improve their sexual health. As you guys know, I'm a sex therapist and I'm a psychologist. So talking about medication in depth would be outside of my scope. That's why I invited a wonderful psychiatrist to come talk to us about some of these evidence-based medications that he's prescribing to his clients. Our guest is Dr. Amir Mohebi. He had him on previous episodes. He's very insightful. He is a proud Iranian-American currently completing a psychiatry residency at St. Louis University. He presented a number of different conferences and he has lots of accolades. My invitation for you is to check out uh, his full bio in the show notes if you want to understand and learn more about him. Also, I have an announcement at the end of the episode, so make sure you're listening till the end. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Amir Mohebi. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Amir Mohepi back on our show. Dr. Mohepi, welcome to our show. Hey, uh, thank you, Dr. Morali. It's, it's great. Um, I'm happy to be here yet again. This is a great show. I, I love it. And I love patient education. Hopefully, we can keep doing this. Yes, yes, I'm very excited. So last time we talked about the impact of various psychiatric medication that people are taking and their impact on their sexuality. And I wanted us to kind of focus this time on some on the other side of the spectrum on the medication that actually and treatment that actually help people to function better in, when it comes to sex and sexuality. Sometimes 
sometimes it's my experience that the combination of sex therapy with taking medication can transform people's sexual wellness. So I'm going to talk about, start talking about focusing on the uh, women. I see a lot of women in my practice. Many of them, they struggle with a various form of experiencing painful intercourse. And I know that there are some medic- medical solutions for them that's been very effective because what I've seen, at least in my practice, historically since sex, sex is painful, what people do is avoid it and they don't know there's a solution around it. We're definitely, as a sex therapist, help people to address some of the behavioral component of this challenge. But please tell us, is there any medical treatment for, for this condition? Definitely, um, there is. Formerly, we call it dyspareunia, and it's often associated with different kind of, you know, OB-GYN type issues. It can be caused by uterine fibroids, endometriosis, or sometimes a woman's anatomy is such that it might lead to uh, more pain. And then, you know, this can be very distressing. So for me as a psychiatrist, I encounter this when patients come to me and they're very distressed that sex is this thing that society says should be amazing, should be great, but for them it's a very painful experience and it causes issues with their intimate life. And so, you know, with that said, you know, I have to do a very thorough history and physical to to see what's really the cause of it. Very rarely there's a psychiatric cause that's, you know, leading to the pain. But, you know, it's it's interesting though that antidepressants have been used for this to to actually because of these, you know, reports that it may cause some genital numbing. So for those that have issues with the um, spasms or with any kind of uh, pain or persistent arousal, then, you know, an easy first-line medication that can be tried without a lot of side effects is an antidepressant. But recently, there's been more newer developments that are, are more promising. For example, Botox. You know, Botox, it's, you know, most people are familiar with it for uh, its cosmetic reasons. You know, I use it for my hyperhidrosis, but uh, actually for women, um, it's been very helpful for, for the painful intercourse, including the spasms, and, and, and even for the uh, persistent genital arousal. So, yeah, the, that's, you know, the, it really depends on how severe the symptoms are and, and how they last. You know, of course, if it's caused by something like a fibroid or endometriosis, you know, the treatment would be to treat those underlying causes. But um, otherwise, you know, we would try an antidepressant or something like Botox. Well, it's interesting that I certainly heard about Botox and I had clients that they used it and it was successful for them. I recently read this article published that was provided, like like forwarded to me by another sex therapist, that some people were using PRP as a way for for like helping women who are struggling with struggles around painful sex or lack of orgasm. Is that something that you have you have been exposed to? Yeah, I, I have, uh, but uh, you're, are you referring to PRP as the platelet-rich plasma? Is right. that correct? Yeah, and so, you know, this is uh, something that's more often used in, like, sports medicine, 
And so it, it doesn't come across my practice much. I mean, I've, I've read about it being used. And I think the idea there is that, you know, blood flow is, is part of the issue. And when you have spasms, it's often because a certain part of your body, it went without oxygen for a couple of seconds due to how the vessels are spasming. So what this platelet-rich plasma does is that it's more viscous, so it keeps the blood vessels a little bit more open, allows for better flow. If there's better blood flow, then it, you know it's easier to keep the vagina lubricated. There's not going to be spasming in the muscles, those kind of things. But it's you know it hasn't been clearly defined, but that's kind of how it's hypothesized to benefit. Interesting. When it comes to medical interventions, I'm <laughs> I'm super hesitant to refer people out for something that I haven't heard about as much, and that's one of those newer things. But it's good that you you can at least hypothesize the hypothesis. You, you see that can be something that would be that could be possibly useful when it comes to women's sexual wellness. One of the times that my clients, I noticed they have the hardest time is postmenopausal period. I have clients mm-hmm. in my practice that they're coming in and telling me that, okay, sex was great. I never had issues with not being able to experience joy during orgasm. But due to the changes in my body post-menopause, now sex is painful. I'm not able to reach orgasm. It's just like people feel very, very frustrated. What are some of the recommendations you have for those women? Yeah, and that, you know, that's a great segue because even, even the younger women with you know, painful intercourse and stuff may also benefit for some of these treatments that are used to help women that have post-menopausal issues. You know, menopause is basically describing when ovulation stops and this affects how a woman's estrogen levels are in her body. And estrogen usually maintains a lot of the, the functions that are, are needed for a sex that's enjoyable, you know? So a lot of the pain in postmenopause is due to atrophy of the, the vagina. You get, it literally gets smaller, it gets drier. So that's why, you know, often lubrications are, are recommended. But here lately, they've actually developed a gel that is inserted vaginally of oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is the orgasm neurotransmitter, and it actually has very high promising results for increasing desire, arousal, lubrication, satisfaction. You know, the only thing that it didn't do was decrease the time to orgasm, but otherwise the oxytocin gel was, uh, was very effective. Now, it's not commercially available yet because it's still under testing, but there is an FDA-approved medication to, to treat, the, you know, the sexual issues, and it, it's called philbenzerin, but it, essentially it is like a newer type of serotonin medication where it increases it at one area but decreases it at another area 
And the combined effect is supposed to kind of augment, you know, the, the pain and dis- the displeasure that occurs in menopause. Now, OB-GYN doctors love to use the medication Effexor or Venlafaxine. And that is actually an antidepressant medication. Technically, it's an SNRI because it works more on norepinephrine. But it's through that activity that it lowers hot flashes. So, you know, the um, discomfort with the hot flashes and, and being sweaty is often a barrier inside. And the others are the, you know, kind of the atrophy that occurs in the vagina and the dryness. The antidepressant that I mentioned earlier, bupropion or Wellbutrin, uh, which is one of my favorites, it has a lot of great benefits in the same regard, and it's very similar to, to Effexor. So uh, I would actually prefer the, the bupropion. Testosterone has also been used. Testosterone to kind of offset this drop in estrogen that's seen in women postmenopausal, but there's concerns over, you know, the side effects on the heart, maybe cancer. So generally, hormone replacement is something that's kind of looked at in, in more severe cases, you know. And, and there are medications that work on the estrogen receptors. And some of those have shown to reverse some of the menopausal side effects. So, you know, it really depends on the, on the person how well that they can tolerate the treatment or how much issues they're having. You know, just like for every woman, their periods are different. Uh, Menopause might be different for them as well. Well, what a wonderful overview. And what I heard also overall is that there are solutions for this problem because for many women, kind of like going through menopause kind of brings some sadness and grief because they feel, okay, that's that's for some, some women is connected with the youth, connected with being able to create life and they feel kind of, okay, then therefore my sexuality kind of gone in a fact and they feel like they especially in the, some part of the culture, people think kind of like sex is something that's for younger people. And uh, when you are around middle age or older, then you don't deserve to have, or it's not possible to have a wonderful sexual experiences. But from what I'm hearing that these are these challenges that can people easily problem solve. And some of them, it seems like they're more promising than the other ones, but there is a number of different, different ways that can people address this one of sometimes i hear for some of my clients that they had struggles with desire that they get prescription for addy what do you think about that which one is it abvi is it abvi yes for the i think for the desire one that one that they were hoping that it is the equivalent for viagra for women oh yeah let me just see what the generic name is yeah so Just like for male sexual dysfunction, you know, everyone is familiar with Viagra. And Viagra was discovered for sexual dysfunction by mistake, actually. Initially, it was looked at as a blood pressure medication. And then they noticed that people became hairier and that they... uh, 
had more erections and they started to think about using those medications for hair loss and erectile dysfunction. Now they tried using the same kind of medication in women, you know, thinking that it would lead to increased lubrication, but that was not effective at all. The medication you're referring to, Abvi, is a, a newer medication. It's a antibody that's designed to work at a particular receptors. And, you know, the, the community is, is kind of skeptical because we haven't seen the long-term benefits of these. You know, most of the studies do come out of the, you know, kind of the pharmaceutical realm because they design their own medications. And it's a lot like, you know, chemo medications where often folks don't have a choice but to try these newer things and we don't find out about them later. Now, but you, you know, what you were talking about before, you know, uh, is, is very important because often when I discuss menopause with my patients, the first thing that we got to establish is that, that they are grieving, you know, and folks don't really realize that maybe those, that's a lot to explain for those feelings and they have to kind of go through that process. You know, I don't like to get to medications until, you know, that someone has gone through all the, the right therapy modalities first because why add medication, more medications to a person's regimen if um, that's not really the underlying, you know, cause that's causing the issue, you know? There are ways of psychologically stimulating yourself to deal with things like dryness and, and things like that. But, you know, you do kind of have to process those changes, those quality of life changes first. Absolutely. And I know, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the, the marketing and media draws our attention to these fancy things, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, we have to be skeptical. And in medicine, you know, the rule of thumb is, you know, you want to kind of go with things that are less potent and kind of work your way up if you have to. I can agree more. And sometimes, again, with, with transitional period in life, or especially for, for many of my female clients, is that there are a grieving that's going on that impacts their uh, sexual wellness. Sometimes because of the changes in the body, they, we have to, in a therapeutic framework, work on helping people to kind of accept their bodies and changes in the body experience. And all of those can impact their, their reaction and enthusiasm about sex so yes i agree with you that there needs to be a holistic kind of like approach okay if there's pain dryness all of those things those are that people think that people can address but also psychological component of the things and at times relational component of things important as well so the other criteria the other area that i feel like people are very excited about the medication when it comes to male sexual functioning and and it seems like we have at least very good medications that are helping many of the men at least that i see in my practice so one of the uh, again we talked about viagra being one of those medications that many men are using when they're struggling with uh, getting an erection so tell us what are some of the common medication that people are using if they are struggling with erectile function? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. You know, generally for a man to sustain an erection, 
uh, they need to have the venous blood supply. So that's the, you know, the blood supply that's coming back to the heart to kind of fill up with blood to kind of sustain and keep their erection. Okay. Now, sometimes people can get there, but uh, they can't keep it. That's where, you know, maybe using different kind of sex toys might help or pump, but for folks that even have problem even having an erection, the first line treatment is what we call the phosphodiesterized 5 inhibitors or sildenafil, which is Viagra, and related medications that all end in fill, so Tadalafil, Vardanafil, and they they only basically differ in their half-life, you know, how long that they last in the body. And generally how these medications work is by a roundabout way of increasing nitrous oxide, which is a, a, a chemical that's needed to be released to tell the veins to get big and let blood fill in there. So they work really good, but if you do have problems with low blood pressure, then it can be very dangerous because by making the veins get really big and kind of collect with blood, it drops the blood pressure because not as much blood is getting back to the heart. Now, if that's the case, you know, if we're dealing with someone who's had a heart attack or their cardiac situation is not really stable, then uh, again, we can go back to the SSRI medications. And uh, if premature ejaculation is the issue, then I would want to use something like paroxetine or Paxil, which has the, the shortest half-life because it's more potent at, at dealing with that. Now, if it's something more like erectile dysfunction, I'm going to go to the opposite, something like Prozac or fluoxetine, because it has the longest half-life, you know. One Prozac pill lasts a week in your body. So this is something that you need to sustain. Um, it's much more effective to, to use something that is more longer acting. Now, pharma, though, has created their own fancy version of these medications called Depoxetine, which uh, is FDA approved for this specifically, but it's really just derived from Prozac. And, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like expensive Prozac. I wouldn't really use it, but it, it can be used for that purpose. Now, um, similarly, other medications that do have antidepressant properties can be very helpful for the premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. Pomipramine which is a tricyclic antidepressant, that is the most effective. And tramadol. So if someone is dealing with chronic pain, the tramadol has the SSRI activity in addition, and that can help offset the erectile dysfunction that might be triggered by pain, for example. So how does SSRI helping with, with kind of like helping with erectile functioning? I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, so the way that it, it, it helps with, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction is by mitigating anxiety. And, you know, folks that are anxious, for example, their nerves are more excitable. Their sympathetic system is in overdrive, okay? And it's like they're sitting in a room with a lion. Mm -hmm. the whole time and their heart is beating really, really quick. And, and so what the antidepressants do is they kind of mitigate this fight or flight response and they keep the body kind of more, you know, grounded so that the blood flow, you know, you, you have a lower 
kind of baseline heart rate, you're not as prone to panic attacks. And in a very roundabout way, it actually increases dopamine in different parts of the brain, which uh, increases desire, things like that. And, you know, with increased desire, then comes the rest of the stuff, pretty much. Well, that makes sense. And so it's kind of addressing the, at times, performance anxiety and anxiety that people are experiencing. And that absolutely makes sense. That would be helpful with kind of sexual functioning. When it comes to medications like Viagra, what I notice is that people are very misinformed. I had clients that they thought, okay, if I'm taking it on its own and the issue will get resolved or like I'm going to be able to get an erection, but it's my understanding that it needs to be kind of a sexually arousing context, that it's not going to work on when you're not in that context. Is that, is that uh, your experience as well? Yeah, that's very true. There are a lot of uh, misnomers about Viagra and you hit a really good one. Um, and it's a lot like with other medications too, that there's a window of opportunity, okay? And so if you miss that window, then it may not work. And, and folks unintentionally may increase their, the dose that they need because of those kinds of situations. So, so you're right. I mean, you want to use the Viagra when you're kind of in the heat of the moment and you're struggling rather than, you know, taking it before dinner, waiting for the end of the night, you know? Right. You know, that's one thing. The other thing is that, you know, we often stray away from wanting to use a medication like Viagra, not just because of the cardiovascular risk, but also because of the tolerance that's associated with it, you know, it's reported that often people become even dependent on it to, to sustain an erection, you know, and we see these, unfortunately, in younger patients, for example, even, you know, substance abusers who they use a lot of stimulants, which, you know, like they might be abusing cocaine or methamphetamine, this increases their sexual desire, but because their heart's beating so fast, they can't maintain an erection. And they'll use uh, like a Viagra pill to offset that and kind of playing teeter-totter with their, their body. And then it kind of, you know, impacts their, their body long-term. It puts wear and tear or later that they'll have significant issues, you know, having a, an erection, for example. It's, it's very challenging. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to erectile functioning, sex therapy has tons of offers, tons of good hands-on experiences that people can practice and homeworks. And it's one of those areas that people can address it behaviorally. I, I personally had clients that they had issues with maintaining erections and through behavioral strategies, they will able to kind of elongate it and like increase the duration of the time that they are able to maintain the erection. And you're right that it's significantly a better way of kind of at times handling the struggle that you're having, knowing that, okay, I, I, I learned through doing the breath work or different exercises to maintain my erection versus I, I need to rely on this medication. And if the opportunity presents itself, but I don't have the medication, psychologically, I'm kind of like putting myself in this place that I'm not going to be able to get an erection. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually was curious about something that I wanted to ask you, you know, knowing that your office is in L.A., you know, near Hollywood, 
another main problem with, you know, dysfunction is uh, comorbid with things like eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And this might, you know, affect a woman's uh, ovulation cycle and, you know, with social media pressure uh, on people to maintain body image. I mean, this is something that we deal with in, in Southern California a lot. Do you have any of those patients in your practice that are struggling Absolutely. with eating? Yes. Yes. So part of my practice is treatments of eating disorders. I got training at it like during my postdoc. And this, this is something I feel very passionate about. And what's interesting is that with my client, clients who are, some of them have quote unquote, what people think is ideal body, which is like a kind of an anorexic realm. They don't have sexual desire. They don't, they say like, that's not something they experience because how their body is in the starvation mode. And then you are in this starvation mode, then you sexual desire is not necessarily present for you. So when I do treatments of eating disorders, when, when people start weight restoration, that's a time that I notice people talk about sex and sexuality and the desire comes back. And it is a positive thing telling us, oh God, that they are recovering. Because I think misconception that many, at least my uh, female clients have that like, you know, only if I have the body like that, I would want to have sex all the time. But then if you are in that starvation mode and your body is starved, then uh, hormonal, you will experience hormonal changes and sexual desire is not as present for you. So that's, that's been my experience. I've seen it in both men and women. But good news is when they are, they work through the, some of the eating disorder behaviors that they have and they do weight, they restore weight, then the issue kind of gets resolved or gets, gets less, less of an issue. Yeah, and, and that just, you know, it's kind of the proof is in the pudding there that it, you can't deny at that point that nutrition has a huge part to deal with a lot of this. And it's because, yeah, a lot of those uh, vitamins and amino acids that we need, uh, that we eat are, are needed to make, uh, you know, dopamine, adrenaline, oxytocin, all these things that are involved in sex. Uh, I do want to touch up on one um, mineral that is very important for this discussion, um, and particularly for women, and that's iron. And so a lot of folks don't know that iron is actually needed to make dopamine. Hmm. And so, you know, most women do kind of deal with uh, chronic iron deficiency. So if that is something that you are kind of struggling with, you definitely want to make sure that that's well treated. And, and that will improve your sex life for sure by virtue of, of allowing more dopamine to be made in your brain, you know. One sign that someone is very low on iron is that they start to develop restless leg syndrome, you know, because dopamine is involved in different pathways in the brain. And for example, people with uh, sleep apnea, who uh, their oxygen drops in the night, well, their body perceives that they're low on oxygen. So their red blood cells will increase and use up all the iron. And um, that iron is not available to make dopamine, and that causes problems. The first place we see it is in the motor system, and that's why they'll you know, toss and turn, they'll kick their legs at night. And often I see that those patients uh, of mine, that they have some depression and they have some sexual dysfunction as well. But as soon as I replace the iron, all that goes away. And 
if what you mentioned, I think it was very interesting that uh, kind of reminded me of, as you mentioned, like lifestyle changes, that like if you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're moving your body, then some of the issues perhaps can get resolved because uh, sometimes what we do in therapy is helping people to improve their lifestyle. And like you'll get surprised and when you are, you're, you have a balanced meal, you move your body, that how impactful that can be. Yeah, definitely for men, circulation, that's the main issue, you know, like you said, get up, get moving, you know, let your blood flow in your body better. And then you're going to, you know, achieve much better erections, you know. And in fact, I watched a documentary recently on Netflix, We Are Champions, where a lot of athletes were talking about a plant-based diet. And a urologist had some pro athletes or college athletes where he measured their erections while they had a meat-based meal and compared it to when they had the plant-based meal. And it was really interesting, you know, even though it's anecdotal, but when they switched to a plant-based diet, that they did have longer erections and they were um, able to sustain them a lot better, you know? So, you know, lifestyle has a, a big part to do with, with this, definitely. Fascinating. I definitely need to check that <laughs> check that documentary because it seems like it was such an interesting information on the different kind of nutritional aspect of different diets. So Dr. Moabi, I know you've been super generous with your time and uh, you covered many of the uh, wonderful topics and important topics that are on mind of many of our listeners. So if they want to gather more information about medication, kind of like articles. I know you post so many interesting things on your social media. What would be the great place for people to go to find you? Yeah, so you can find me at, at, at Dr. Mohebi on Instagram. So that's uh, D-R-M-O-H-E-B-B-I uh, would be the easiest place to, to get a hold of me. And you, like you said, I'll post a lot of these reviews that are new and are out there because it's hard for the general public to kind of find what is the, you know, the, the level of evidence that we, you know, it, we look at in the scientific world compared to what's out there on the internet, you know? So I'm happy to share the information with folks. I'm all about patient education. Excellent. Thank you so much, guys. If you didn't get a chance to write down Dr. Mohope's handle, it's going to be on the show notes. And also he was very generous that he shared with us some of the references for the, for the conversation that we had today. Dr. Mohope, as, as always, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye now. I hope you guys found our conversation useful and it gave you good information about some of the medications that are out there. I wanted to share with you that starting first Friday of September, I'm doing this cooking challenge on my Instagram account. One of my supervisors, when I was taking my doing my sex therapy supervision and certification, she wrote this recipe book, the cookbook, and it's focused on enhancing your sensuality and steering your libido. So she's a sex therapist. She did this research on how to incorporate food in increasing your sexual sexuality. 
So Linda is a sex therapist, but also she curated this recipe book focusing on foods that will enhance your sexuality. I will post the recipe, the ingredients on Thursday nights, and we'll make it together on Friday. And if it happens that you're cooking it and you want to share it with me, you can just tag me at Sexology Podcast. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.